Welcome to We're Listening, the podcast, the community where all voices are heard. I'm your host, Rob Cook. Join me for a lighthearted show about the human experience with live conversations, discussions, and interviews of some of the newest to the most established 3P practitioners from all over the world. So no matter if you've known the three principles for years or you're new to Daily Insights, we hope each episode will inspire you to demonstrate a community where all voices are heard. Welcome to today's episode. Welcome, 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 everyone, to an amazing episode this week. We have none other than an amazing individual uh, with us today who's here to share a powerful story that I really want you to tune in on. But um, before we get into that, I'm going to introduce you to him. Everybody, welcome to the show, Eric Zuniga, or Suniga, whichever one, right? You're right, you're right. (laughs) And it's actually both are correct because, you know, phonetically and... uh, uh, cult, customarily, I guess, within a certain custom context. So, yeah, either one works. Either one works. What's the origin of it? Uh, it's Spanish is Spanish? the origin. Okay. Right. But yeah, but I've got some Mexicali in me. And uh, someone said I had some Dutch in me a day or two ago, but I don't know how they identified that. So I guess I'm a, <laughs> a bit of a mutt. <laughs> cool, man. Well, I have enjoyed uh, getting to know you. Over, over the past almost seems like a year now, a couple months or a year, close to a year. But I, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of introduce yourself to the community. Let them know who you are, how you show up in the world. So what, what community is this? I'm curious. Uh, as the community of any and everybody who is about helping ending human suffering. Uh, some of the listeners are within the 3P community. Um, a lot of other listeners come through military background that were stationed with me at one point and listen uh, to deal with things like PTSD, um, people who are, in my opinion, who teach pre principles but don't consider themselves part of the community for whatever reason, mm. we still are talking to them too. Um, so fractured or not, uh, we're talking to everyone who has an understanding that life happens from the inside out. No, I appreciate that. And so uh, to introduce myself, I do want to acknowledge the listening audience and the community beyond, because that's uh, really central to what I'm about to say and the journey of talking we're about to embark on. Because, um, I mean, you know, and I know a little bit about, you know, the three principles community and the founder, Sid, you know, it makes sense to acknowledge him. And there is someone I want to acknowledge uh, in respect to that, uh, obviously, Sid. But also I want to acknowledge uh, where I came from, and that is nature, uh, uh, divine nature. And going way back to our ancient ancestors, uh, they knew something was going on. Uh, They were living in the forest. Uh, They were experiencing trauma like we couldn't believe today. And uh, in order for them to live through it, they had to connect with something deeper than that trauma. They had to con- they had to acknowledge that there was some sort of source of well-being that kept them from basically uh, going extinct. Yeah. And we're faced with a very similar uh, trauma in our new modernized environment. Uh, so trauma is never going to go away, and uh, and as it morphs there's always a lifeline to what our ancients have been teaching us 
and you know what Sid has founded, which is that there's something already present that uh, can easily be denied, but it's there regardless. And um, so I feel like when I say I want to acknowledge someone, while I did mention Sid, I, I think the someone is is the oneness. That's that's the someone I want to acknowledge is the oneness that somehow I can understand you and you could understand me and people who've never heard of me or my voice are able to connect. That's where I want to go today. Thanks. Yeah, I love that. So we, knowing that you acknowledge Sid and, and the, um, the oneness, so that kind of puts to your very spiritual in nature, but what else, what else about you should the community know? Like what else you? You like playing basketball, you're a soccer guy, like what's your sport? You know, what kind what's your favorite food? Just just what other ways do you show up in the world? Yeah, you know, that's all, all that stuff that nobody sees when I'm out in the yard and I get frustrated because I can't cut that tree branch down because it's <laughs> high and it's still dangling there as the leaves are dying until I get the pulse off fixed. And and then there's the other side where I just admire a butterfly that just cruises by to remind me it's time to chill yeah and um and so these are this is just my daily life um things that i experience and then i'll have the memories come up here and there uh that i still am working through and the parts that i'm not don't really bug me much you know yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh yeah i i I've been through life and I know everyone else has um, and a few benchmark uh, moments of trauma, for example, yeah. that I reflect on because um, there's something, uh, something about them that has transformed into awareness. And when I was a child, I was sexually human trafficked at the age of four. Uh, when I was a teenager, uh, a clergy of an organization sexually abused me. And as an adult, while I was gung-ho studying the principles and counseling people, I was in a relationship uh, that could be considered intimate partner violence, domestic violence upon me. And so, uh, so life has some soft edges, some jaggedy edges, and some frayed ones. Yeah. So let's, let's start with that. Um... Before we get into the specifics, I, I, want to, I want you to kind of set some framework for this, just so we're both on the same page and those who are listening. What I want you to do for me is kind of give me your definition of what trauma is. And then from there, we'll get into those different reference points that you talked about. Well, first, uh, what I've noticed and I've experienced is that trauma is frequently associated with tragedy especially those who are viewing someone's trauma that is unique to their experience. In other words, they don't have a reference point and it looks extraordinarily tragic. But to the individual that's experiencing it, it leaps beyond that yeah. because it's sort of like, a, for lack of a better term, a spiritual two by four to reach beyond it to see beyond the tragedy 
and see if there's anything of any worth because uh, if there's nothing worthwhile in it, then I think what I did and what a lot of other people, survivors do, is start to deteriorate their own self. Well, if, if I experience this and I'm a bad person because of it, well, then why am I alive? And then they start questioning that they've ever been connected to something greater than that. And so, so it's a really good motivator uh, to get beyond it. Yeah. And the challenge I've noticed for myself and many others is how do I grow beyond this? How do I forgive? Or how do I retaliate, which is just re-traumatizing themselves mm-hmm. through um, a cycle of finding ways to be either in a position or it, it finding a, a, a secretive way to continually re-traumatize others to feel some sort of sense of power. Yeah. And uh, so it's really, it's really challenging to to not get seduced by that and to realize that there's no power in that. And the real power is in something divine. And well-being doesn't sound divine, but it becomes very profound when trauma morphs into a gift. Oh yeah, I, I love that. And um, as safe as uh, I want to move as as slow or as at, at your pace when we go through these things, because um, the nature of them, in a sense, I want to be respectful to to you in that case. But I do want to start from the first one that you mentioned, being being human trafficked at four years old, um, as best as you can, kind of paint, paint a picture for me. Well, you know, another person had mentioned, uh, and I really liked the way she said it, uh, it was ja- Jasmine. I'm sure you're familiar with uh, uh, Jazzy Jazzy. <laughs> yes. And she said to me, you know, Eric, when I hear you say, uh, you know, sexually human traffic, and when I, I have to say, when I first came to the memories, when they started flooding me again, that's not how I've said it. it I was screaming. I was a sex slave. I was screaming it. That's not very digestible. Yeah. But it was real. It was, it was the raw version of what is likely going to occur here, which is the more, you know, kind of processed version. And the letting go of that rawness and that pain, because it was very painful. Uh, And she said, all I think of is people in chains around their call, around their neck and chains on their legs and arms. And, And I know that's not it. And I had to say, you're right, actually, you're right, Jasmine, that is it. But they're mental chains, they're psychological chains, and they bind and bound just as equally and i was bound by threat so um i walked into a house and i didn't know what was going on but there's a little child couldn't have been maybe several months younger than me three and a half and this child was in diapers because this child had frequent with a lot of children who've been uh, traumatized. They have, uh, you know, they kind of need to be in diapers a lot longer than other kids. Gotcha. Have moments where, uh, you know, the bladder just 
kind of goes out of control. And um, I've had, I've experienced that too. And I felt compelled to rescue this child, to be protective, but that did not work because the man standing behind me was reaching for a shiny object on his belt area. And I knew at that moment that um, I had to make a decision of life and death because if I were to communicate to this child that something is wrong, which I started to, and I could see the child's expression as vividly as if I'm there right now, I could see the child's expression like, I'm saying to the child through my energy, you don't belong here. We don't belong here. This is wrong. And I could see the child looking at me like, oh my God, this is wrong. But the moment that that man uh, weaponized the situation for the sake of my survival and the other child's survival, I had to play along and I had to perform. And I started laughing and smiling. And this child's again, started laughing and smiling and all was forgotten about my rescue plan. And I was drugged. There were um, uh, women who were likely teenagers with older men observing this whole situation. Um, the, and shortly after that, I was, I was drugged and, and, and in several moments I was performing, but to remember what I was doing was very vague because afterwards I was I would always be drugged. Mm -hmm. And had had I not acquiesced to uh, this world's idea of fun and entertainment and intimacy, the likelihood of me being drugged to this point of ODing would have been very high. Probably would have been thrown into a field where I would have been found and autopsy would have revealed that I just probably ate some dirt and the dirt probably had some toxic stuff in it. And that would have been the end of the story. Yeah. That isn't the end of the story. And I'm sharing this story. And um, I'm sharing the parts that I feel safe to share. Mm -hmm. And I know that human trafficking happens in all different ways. Um, but that's just part of the story. There, it goes on and on and on. I was uh, tied to a tree outside the neighbor's yard uh, without any clothes on. And uh, the neighbor was inside taking photographs. And those photographs were disseminated throughout various individuals in the community. Um, it created a reputation in, for me. In that community, meaning this was being done not just by the individuals, but there was a collection of people who would receive data or access to these type pictures and videos. That's correct. Okay. And nowadays, I'm not sure what it's called, and I, I wish I knew, but it's, it's easier to disseminate photos of children on the internet through the dark web. Uh, and they go a lot further, even after, um, you know, the, the, the child becomes an adult and into adult, a survivor, yeah. their photographs uh, digitally are still being circulated. And yeah. um, so it's something that can 
uh, affect a person very profoundly, uh, knowing that it's just never going to end if for themselves. And for me, what affected me is it just doesn't seem to end for other people. And uh, wow. So this is childhood, and we're we're trans we're we're growing, um, man, to, to a point where we become a teenager now. Um, and then the incident happened with the clergy, a person of trust. Um, talk to me a little bit about that one. Yeah, this is a person that every community trusts and goes to and feels safe with because this person is a unique authority. They are an authority of man and God. It's a pretty daunting level of, of authority. And uh, at this point in my life, my parents were going through a divorce. And I remember a clinician saying, oh, God, Eric, this was just, a, it was one of those perfect storms. You know, um, it was at a time when I, I felt like I was getting out of the cloud of that childhood trafficking that happened. And that, I'm very fortunate, was only a year. And it was also very covert unlike some other countries where it is very overt. So I just want to say in America, it's very covert. And in respect to the priest, very covert, a lot of grooming, just like as if somebody was in a uh, classroom and the teacher said, open to page 147 to your books. The teacher is grooming us for higher education so that we can pursue a master's and a PhD and possibly bring a positive change to the world. So this is a very similar grooming. And I remember saying to myself, oh God, I'm just getting out of this mentally other situation. And now I'm going to go back into one of them. I'm never going to be able to reclaim my childhood. This man took away my well-being. He took away my childhood. And and really, I had to reclaim something that was completely just severed. And uh, I remember the first time that uh, there was uh, a lot of contact below the waist, so to speak. And I felt something happening inside of me. And I, I was inside a, uh, I forgot what they call it, but these are the houses where the priests live. And we were upstairs and I, I said, I have to go to the bathroom. And I went into the bathroom and, you know, some people who uh, experienced um, tours in the military may have experienced some similar things where uh, I knew I wasn't shot, <laughs> but I was feeling like I was going to throw up or pass out or something. And, um, and I, I went into the bathroom. And I, I washed I wash my face and I, I literally, I could not feel the water. And I turned the water up and made it super cold. And it didn't matter how much I, my shirt was wet. I couldn't feel the water. I couldn't feel it on my face. And I knew that my, that I was shutting down. And, and in this sense, shutting down means that, that death begins in the mind. It begins psychologically. 
and uh, I was trying to wake myself up, but, uh, but what had happened to me, it was killing me. And while it was grooming and while there was no, um, you know, lacerations, I was dying from what was happening. Mm. Man, my heart goes, goes out to you. Thank you again. Just, I, mean, I know we still got to talk, but just thank you for, for um, bringing this uh, story out for awareness, which is something we, we talk about often. Um, now, you, you spoke also about domestic violence from the trauma and the, the traumatic experiences as an adolescent and then as a teenager. And then you, you grow to an adult and you're, you're trying, well, I don't say trying, but you're involved in a relationship. And it then doesn't have a, a traditional pattern. How did that feel? What was that mindset like? Well, it's, you know, it's, it's a good question. And I'm going to pause a little bit before I go there. And just to say that um, there are some markers that aren't necessarily the same, but there are some markers that happen to people who, what are referred to as either cyclically uh, traumatic events or polytrauma events, uh, which has the symptomology of uh, PTSD or uh, complex PTSD. And some of the ways of the approaches of coping strategies, if you will, are uh, shutting down sexuality or in activating it to the point in which it's very continuous. And the one is hypersexual, which is the continuous and one is hyposexual which is it just shuts down and it's person's not not really available there because it's just easier to manage life um and uh but for me after going through all of this i don't know how many 20 year olds feel like they are uh they know a lot about intimacy but um there might be and i felt like i knew something about it and i started working in the service field, the helping profession field at a really young age in my 20s. And I was actually teaching uh, sexual education. And um, I remember teaching it in the school. And after the class, uh, one girl came up to me, a little girl, and she says, I heard what you said in the class. And my uncle is doing stuff to me too. And I said, oh, thank you so much for saying that. And I want to get someone here to talk with you. Is that okay? She goes, sure. And I brought over another one of the counselors to speak with her. And I had removed myself. And that was the time uh, when I, I remember going into the bathroom again. And I was just, I was about to pass out. Um, because I didn't want her to see how. I didn't want her to see that I started reliving my experience just by the words. I could just feel it. She was being honest. I knew she was telling the truth. I want there to be someone available for every child so that uh, they can have hope and know that this world is supportive. And in this adult relationship that I had, uh, the woman that I was dating uh, was also sexually trafficked 
as a child. She was sexually trafficked by her father and her brother. And, uh, and I just felt like, this is my sister. And I want to be there for her no matter what. But uh, she didn't see me as a brother. Uh, she saw me as something else. And I think she reached a point in her life where uh, her associations were so strong about men uh, that there was likely something that I did. It could have been a tone. It could have been a gesture or behavior or something. And she just snapped and just thought, hey, this guy is not a good guy. And um, I remember distinctly, uh, because I also create artwork, original artwork, went to fine art school. And I was drawing this picture. And the picture was a, a man and a woman that were coming together in a relationship, starting the process of forming that bond. And she was really upset and she took that picture and she threw it against an object which basically tore the entire canvas. And I remember her apologizing and saying, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm really sorry you didn't deserve that. And interestingly enough, because I wanted, I wanted to reach out, I said, it's okay, I know why you did it. You did it because you felt like it was the only way to stop these feelings. And and um, it was, I don't know if that was exactly what I said, but, but it definitely wasn't, oh, you're a bad person, it's your Absolutely. fault, da, 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 da. Yeah. And so there was this part of me that just never wanted to give up. Mm. And I think there was a point in which I had to face the reality that this person was being so triggered and so activated by their past that the really the only thing I could do was pause. And my father actually intervened. Uh, if it wasn't for him, this would have gone on and on. Um, and he put me in the car and he says, I go, yeah, but that's my car is there and all my stuff is there. And he's like, Eric, get you a new car. We'll get you new stuff. Let's, let's go let's go yeah i can i can see that yeah let's go wow so we we have those and i want to i want to kind of pivot us because there are some amazing things that are part of the story as well um one is your your resilience um two is your your compassion or awareness so to speak to see the innocence and in things um so help me with when you came into the principles, how that really helped you take your trauma and do what you're doing now with it, which is sharing your story and making people more aware of a, an experience which they're probably not aware of that could be happening right in front of them. Yeah, well, I, because I was a counselor and uh, a wellness manager and coach and all of that, I really didn't look under that carpet, although nothing really fit under it. I didn't really look under <laughs> the carpet of my own yeah. traumas. And um, I was really trying to heal um, by projecting 
you know, or, or just by watching other people heal, I kind of wanted that to rub off on me. And, and so I wouldn't have to look at it. And people were healing with the three principles. And I, to this day, I have no idea what they heard me say, but whatever I said, it, they it connected. There was something inside them that made a connection. I've watched numerous people go from a very dark place to a lot of lightness of being. And it, it, I think what I was doing is I was trying to convince myself, hey, Eric, look at every single person you talk to, their resiliency is just popping out of them. Yeah. And I needed that verification before I would venture into in towards my own inner darkness and abyss. Now, I'm going to need you to remind me of the second part of your question, or maybe the first part. No, just in um, how the principles, when you came into this understanding, help kind of recalibrate, reshape, or, or what did they do when you experienced them? Probably is a better question. Yeah, well, uh, yes, I didn't really want to look at my traumas, but that last uh, intimate partner violence situation, really, I really had to pause in life and everything was sort of a red light. Uh, there was no green light to do anything, no more counseling, no more coaching, no more managing, literally nothing. I stopped everything because here was a person that said I was a bad person. And I really wanted to look at that and wanted to see if that really was accurate to my core. Mm. But I didn't want to look at it to verify uh, conditions, symptoms, or um, you know, uh, those kinds of things, diagnosis. I wasn't doing it to verify that. I wasn't doing an inventory to say, this is who I am because I went through it. What I was doing is I wanted to see my own innocence. That was really the most difficult part of this journey is to see my own innocence because I would have to see it. The, 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 what was being said to me is it wasn't there. So I was pretty scared. But I had to look, and I looked, and what I realized is that memory is a story that the mind makes of the past, and I had to get beyond the stories that people made of my past and take a look at the innocence of me experiencing life as it's coming at me because I've never had these moments before. Yeah. And I started seeing things I never saw before. And here's a few of them. Firstly, I honestly thought everybody went through human trafficking. I thought we all went through it. I didn't realize that until much later in life, that other people don't experience that. So I was living from the mindset that, well, I've got to perform for the rest of my life just like everybody else. And in the community, in several communities, including the community I'm in now, there's a lot of new families. And I would look at these children and I would see them playing. And I started, it hit me, the insight hit me. Oh my God, Eric, not everybody goes through this. And this is where the innocence started to unfold. Eric, do you see that why you, because of what you've been through, that you lived in a hypervigilant world, that you lived in a world where you felt compelled to appease people, 
a world in which you felt enslaved by threat, that you had to conduct yourself, that if anyone in a position of authority was asking you to do something, whether it was right, wrong, or risk your life, you would do it because you were living from a world of, of threat of life and death. And so I had to start acknowledging these things. I was not acknowledging the mess ups. I was acknowledging what initiated them and how I thought about them. But all along, I was forgiving other people. I was forgiving the abusers, the predators, uh, the violent people. But what I had forgotten was to forgive myself. So this is where uh, the three principles made a difference because I was seeing the innocence in my thinking and how my thinking was um, enslaving me to an extent. But then what I started to see was that everybody's thinking to an extent is enslaved yeah. by their traumas. And what people tend to experience rather than the macro traumas that I experienced, people were experiencing micro traumas. And through these micro traumas were kind of, it was guiding their life. And one of the things that we talked about is about micro traumas is we think we need to be protective. But when yeah. we're protective, it, it doesn't do us a service at all. Yeah, it, it shuts down. Like when you, when, when our base, in, in air base defense, I'll use a military analogy. When we thought a threat was imminent, we shut down. Walls come up, gates close you know, windows shut, you know, the shutters closed. It's almost like you're closing yourself in. Well, that, that works probably for that type of defense. But personally, when you're going through life and you feel like you're protecting yourself and you start shutting down, you start closing down, life gets very narrow. And, and then you live from that narrow perspective as if it's all you have. Um, I, I love what you were pointing to there because you, again, one of our previous conversation, you made a comment about the difference in an insight versus an outsight. When although you knew you had survived it and, and you were, you know, gone, it still you hadn't seen it yet. And so it wasn't until you saw it, that insight, that it made it able to make some change. And, and I really love that distinction on no matter what the people said, that would be outsight. Okay, Eric, you're all right. Okay, Eric, you can do it, all of the rah, rah, rah type stuff. But if you don't see it for yourself, it's kind of like you said, I didn't even know where to go with that. And that forgiveness of peace thing was also, forgiveness of self, I'm sorry, forgiveness of self thing was also very beautiful. Um, because again, living our lives from the outside in, we would look to forgive the other ones first, thinking that would be the, the relief and the peace we're in search of. And it's actually always the forgiveness of self that that peace lands that we're talking about and allows the true flow of forgiveness for, for those who have, as we say, biblically trespassed against us type thing. Um, man, I, I, I really appreciate you, you being here today. I, I wanna highlight a few things um, for the listeners. Um, during the conversations that me and Eric have had, we decided that we're going to do a, a three, four part video series on this particular topic. 
uh, with more educational information, things for you to be aware of in your communities, things for you that, that could possibly you can look out for and ways that may assist in when you hear someone who's been human trafficked, sexually assaulted, um, or abused domestically. And we'll, more info will follow in that series, but we're, we're super excited about doing it. And um, I just want to thank you for, for, for trusting me to do that with you um, publicly. I really appreciate you, the way you've shown up and, and shared your, your story with the community. And um, I'm going to ask you to kind of pretty much stand on the stage, one, not one last time in a sense, but just share with the community, you know, some last words and thoughts about, you know, this topic or anything, honestly. But just share your heart with, with the people for a minute and, and they'll be the last voice you hear. But um, this will probably be part of that, uh, you know, that series as well. But uh, again, man, thank you so much for being here. And uh, and yeah, I'll just turn it over to you to keep keep sharing wisdom. I appreciate it, Rob. I got a lot of love for you, a lot of love for your listeners and anyone that finds any value because what 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 3P has done is it's given me and other people who hear these stories an opportunity to decode an experience that they're having, to decode their thoughts and to, to shift from a fear-based love to a, more of a hope-based love. And so this is, this is just the beginning. Thank you for listening to today's episode. For more information about the podcast, please go to 3pgc.org. If you're looking for more information about how to become a practitioner or you want to be featured on the show as a new, fresh voice in the principles, send us an email at info at 3pgc.org. We'd love to hear from you. Knowing there is no end or limitation, nor are there boundaries to the human mind, have the day you deserve. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.